for our second message today. We have a um, sermon from Mr. Barnabas Grayson entitled, The Royal Law. Mr. Grayson. Good afternoon. <clears throat> Hope nothing falls over here. I was going to hit the floor back there when I heard that sound. Shows you what kind of coward I am. On your handout there, uh, you have uh, the title of this sermon, which is The Royal Law. There is a law that has I had a hard time pronouncing this because I get my tongue is twisted on this. Uh, per perpetuity? Is that, that right? I thought I had it right, but you can read it. The, which is the state or quality of lasting forever and will set us free. And it is the standard that is going to be used in the judgment that is to come. What is that law? And what are its charges? Let's look at this today and begin, start well, in James uh, chapter 2. We'll start and end with this, by the way. It says, if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. You have to think about that. And you have respect to him that wears the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit you here in a good place, and then say to the poor, Stand you over there, or sit under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to them that love him. But you have despised the poor, you know, those who seem to have less. And, you know, in comparison, you know, a poor person in, in, here in America is much rich, richer in the sight of those who are, are really in poor and destitute countries. Do not uh, rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats. Do not they blaspheme the worthy name by which you are called. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. So it's really, you know, no minor thing to start thinking less of those who have, might have less or to look upon a fellow uh, human being as, you know, inferior to you. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, don't commit adultery, said also, don't kill. Now, if you commit no adultery, Yet if you kill, you are become a transgressor of the law. So speak you, and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty, this law of freedom. For he shall have judgment without mercy, 
that shows no mercy and mercy rejoices against judgment. So when you know to do right and you don't do it, you know better. And so the judgment will be upon you by the way you act and take the word of God. In John chapter 13, we see verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, and that is that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So this is the royal law, and it's because it comes from the Lord, from Jesus Christ, our King, and God, our Father. It is royal in that sense. In 1 John chapter 13, brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shines. He that says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loves his brother abides in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and knows not where he goes because that darkness has blinded his eyes. Darkness has been creeping into the world, into our age, ever since time began. And we know that it is Satan who has, who deceives the whole world, and who is at work dividing people, dividing nations, causing hatred in all forms. In Matthew 24, and verse 12, And because iniquity, which is lawlessness, or unrighteousness, shall abound the love of many, shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this word, love, agape, this love of many is going and is growing cold, weakened, and being overcome by hostile attitudes, grudges, vengeance, intolerance, and wickedness that is just the part of human nature. And the world does not really know where it is headed due to the transgression of that royal law of love and of the judgment that is to come. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, and we need to think about this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body, done in this life, done as we are mortal. According to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. Now, as mentioned earlier, in five days we will gather for the Feast of uh, Trumpets, a memorial to the past and a foretelling of future events, like the coming tribulation, the uh, trumpet plagues, the return of Christ, and the resurrection, you know, especially of loved ones and the dead in Christ. So we see that these days that we're about to enter the fall, the fall season. These days were instituted by the eternal, our God, to give us instruction, to give us direction, and to give us a, a foreknowledge of, of the plan that he has in store. 
But at, we know at first it's going to be a day of wrath, which is called the day of the Lord. Zechariah chapter 14. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, and your spoil shall be divided in the midst of you. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord shall go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives. So, you know, that's the good news that is, you know, behind all of these, these holy days that are coming up, especially when we think about the tribulation that is to come in which the Feast of Tabernacle, uh, Feast of Trumpets touches on. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, half of it toward the south. Drop on down to verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord, and his name one. So there will not be any more false prophets, false leaders. There will be just one authority. That's the good news part. Christ's return to restore all things and to end the lawlessness, the iniquity that seems to be prevailing much in our society today. We here in America, of course, you know, there's a lot of things we can see, a lot of things that we can do, a lot of things to enjoy. But other parts of the world are not like that. And so there is a lot of doubt, a lot of fear, and a lot of, you know, uh, uh, of envy toward us. But then, even though we are able to see and enjoy a lot of things, we sometimes forget where we came from, what we came out of, and we take our freedom, and we take our uh, calling uh, not as serious as we should. First Peter chapter 4, verse 7, it says, But the end of all things is at hand. Be you therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things have fervent charity. You know, this is agape love among yourselves. For charity shall cover a multitude of sins. And offer hospitality, it says. You know, welcome guests without grumbling. So this is a kind of pure love that was in Christ Jesus. As manifested in his sacrifice that he laid down his life for us in his forgiveness and in his grace covering a multitude of sins as in the atonement. So he shows us also then that we also should have and show fervent charity. Verse 17, the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that do not obey? The gospel of God, the good news of God. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? That's because there are difficulties that Christians face each and every day of life. They, there's a lot to overcome in this, in this life. For we're told in this life you shall have tribulation. 
but we are to endure those things that come along and not give in to the ways of the world, to the iniquity that is going to abound. Hebrews 10.30 tells us that the Lord shall judge his people and that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God or Theos, the, the deity who shall judge this world. In 2 Corinthians 5.10 it says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he's done, whether it be good or bad. We know that Christ is coming to judge the world. Now, there are many, of course, who do not believe in God. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't uh, believe in uh, judgment, that there's a judgment that is to come. And some think, well, once saved, you're always saved, that the law is done away, and that we're saved by grace and to just have faith and, and just believe. In Romans 3, it tells us that we are not perfect. And we're really no better than any other human uh, being, than any other, other person. In verse 29, Romans 3, is he the God, talking, uh, uh, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, the other nations also. What then, verse 9 uh, of the same chapter, I uh, got this verse out of order. What then are we better than they? No, no, excuse me. What then are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So in, you know, in my personal daily life, uh, I can see where I fall very short of, of, of being the way that God would like for me to be. But if we are in Christ, we know this, that our righteousness, that he is our righteousness, that our sins are covered by his blood and by his sacrifice. However, we are still human, and the law uh, still applies to us. Romans 3.31 says, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. If we didn't have, uh, if we think that, well, we're saved by grace, there's no law, then uh, why establish the law? Matthew ch uh, chapter 5, Jesus said, For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So what is, there, what is so important about this royal law, this law that is so important to us? What, what are all these, these scriptures that I've read, what, what do they point to? As mentioned earlier, in this world today, what do we see? We see people divided by all sorts of things, divided by hostility, suspicion, bigotry, evil, and whatever else can cause love to uh, wax cold. On the Statue of Liberty is this inscription that says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, 
the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. No other nation has offered such an invitation, but it is an ideal that some say has, has seen its time. We, of course, know that the opposite of love is, is hatred. And instead, we're to show uh, love toward others. When ancient Israel was set free from the bondage in, in Egypt, they were set free also from oppression. And we read in the book of Exodus where the children of God were charged by the eternal with these words. In Exodus 22, uh, 2, 21, you shall neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. As uh, NIV puts it, do not mistreat an alien or oppress him, for you were aliens in Egypt. In Exodus 23, 9, it says, also you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, seeing you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So the children of Israel knew from personal experience, from their experience when they were in Egypt, and they were reminded by God to remember what it felt like to experience injustice, mistreatment, and oppression. And that they were not to act in that same manner, but to be different. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33, 34. Uh, if a stranger sojourn with you in your land, you shall not vex him. But the stranger that dwells with you shall be unto you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So this is not because of the words of, of some man, but was spoken by the eternal God. And the children of Israel, they knew what it was like to be a foreigner in someone else's land. And the eternal expected his people to treat the alien differently than how they were treated by the Egyptians back in the day. So we all know that God's commandments are based on love. The law of love. Love toward God, toward him, and love toward one another. Again, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 10, verse 19, we read this. Love you, therefore, the stranger... For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. In the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, Jesus is quoted as saying, Love your neighbor as yourself. And in Mark 12, verse 30, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Four things there that sometimes we fall far short in exercising. And the second is like, namely this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So love your neighbor as yourself, said Jesus. Now we all want our lives, our property, our belongings to be safe from others. We don't want you know, people to steal from us to get you know stolen from or as they say to get ripped off or whatever uh, it can be quite upsetting 
a couple of weeks ago. I, w I may have told you this story, but if I did, bear with me. I asked uh, Carolyn, did I tell them about the G our Jeep that was stolen? And uh, she didn't remember either, so <laughs> if I told you this before, bear with me. A couple of weeks ago, walked out. Have you all heard the story? Okay, good. <laughs> okay. Walked out early one morning, go down, check the mailbox, and uh, I went down the, uh, the driveway and uh, came back up, and I looked, and my Jeep wasn't there. So I said, well, maybe it's in the garage, but I never park it in the garage. And I thought, well, maybe <laughs> it rolled down the, the driveway and went into the uh, weeds that are across the road. And even Carolyn said, well, maybe it rolled down there. And I didn't say anything crushed. But, you know, right then and there I said, who has got the nerve to come in and take this Jeep away from me? Where are they now? What are they doing with my Jeep? And, you know, I was thinking all kinds of bad things about whoever stole my Jeep. So I called the, the, the Coeta police. I said, uh, uh, my, my Jeep was stolen. And uh, I could barely get the words out because I really felt, you know, emotional about it. And uh, they wanted me to describe the year, the date. I couldn't remember those things, you know. And so they said, well, we'll send out an officer. And the officer came. And then Carolyn came out. She said, I know where the Jeep is. And uh, I said, where? Parked over at Walmart. We parked it over at Walmart because Carolyn had called me and she wanted to go somewhere else, and she didn't want to come back to Kuwaita, pick me up, and uh, so I drove the Jeep over there, and so we went on our merry way. And uh, so I was really relieved. I really thought, you know, I, I was really ripped off that uh, somebody had stole the Jeep, and uh, you know you're kind of missing a little bit of things upstairs when, <laughs> when things like that happen. So the officer came, and I got up and went down and shook his hand and, and told him what had happened. And uh, uh, he patted me on the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> and he left. But I thought I'd relate this story because sometimes people do get stolen from. And uh, it really kind of be upsetting. And, you know, that's sometimes... You know, you expect the worst, and that's the way the world is sometimes. You expect the worst because, you know, iniquity does abound. Anyway, if I repeat this again, uh, I may do it sometimes because I forget. But Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. This same charge was given ancient Israel. In the book of Leviticus, verse 19 and 18, where Moses admonished the people. He said, you shall not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we know that uh, God said, vengeance is mine. Sometimes, however, it is easier to love the immediate family and to favor one's own people. But again, in verses, down in verse 34, it makes clear the admonition that we are to love, have love toward all. For it says, again, 
The stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. And unless someone is acquainted with, with the bondage that Israel faced in Egypt, uh, they won't know what it was like. And in a way, there's, there's a famine of the word in, in the world, and no one is really acquainted with a, with a story that leads to where we are today. So we see then that a stranger then could become a part of the people and the society of Israel, yet only if they abide by certain rules of law. And still, it becomes a test of character and morality, morality to extend love and equal justice under the law for the people who may look different, may sound different, and who comes from afar with customs and values that may differ. So it is that, one, that this is one of the causes for the world being divided, and it's due to animosity toward fellow human beings. We just can't seem to get along. And we know that it is due to uh, Satan, who instigates hatred and iniquity. Today we know that America is a land, a nation of immigrants, a melting pot of people, and in the eyes of many, it is seen as a land of opportunity. From the beginning of time, it's just been in, the, uh, in human nature, in the human race, that there has always been migrations of people into one land or another for whatever reason, some to escape persecutions, religious persecution, political oppression, wars, violence economic distress, starvation, death, and so on. So whatever one compels one to seek refuge and opportunity to leave their homes, homeland for a better life, there are all sorts of reasons. Today, however, we know <clears throat> that there is genuine concern that some people do bring with them drugs and other criminal intent to harm, terrorize, with death and destruction. And it is hard to tell who is who. So we hear terms like vetting, ways to carefully examine strangers who want to enter this great land of ours, and as it was done at Ellis Island in the shadow of the Statue of Liberty. And there we know today that there is much political debate and division about you know, immigration reform, deportation of illegal aliens, ending of DACA. You know, I've heard that word so often, I, I really did not know what it stood for. But uh, I wrote it down, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program. So we hear things like that, including, you know, building a, a wall along the southern border to control immigration. So the question is, how are Christians supposed to think, and how do they biblically respond to the presence of of strangers and aliens. A stranger, of course, is someone we do not know and are accustomed to seeing in our presence. Yet, we know that most immigrants, both legal and illegal, in our land today came looking for jobs and for other opportunities, leaving their country behind for the land of milk and honey. In Genesis chapter 12, 
Verse 1, the Lord said unto Abram, get you out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house into a land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make the, uh, your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you and curse him that curses you and in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all of their substance into, uh, to go into the land of Canaan. And Abraham, and Abram, verse 6, passed through the land unto the place of Sechem, unto the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was in the land. So the Canaanites were in the land where Abram went. And Abram found himself, of course, in the minority there. But the Lord appeared unto Abram in verse 7 and said unto your seed will I give this land. And there he built an altar unto the Lord who had appeared unto him. And he went from there unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, pitched his tent, Bethel on the west and Hay on the east and there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. And there was a famine in the land. And Abram, where did he go? He went down into Egypt to sojourn there because the famine was grievous in the land. So the problem, now the problem for Abraham and his people, including Lot, his nephew, was that they had many flocks, they had herds, they had cattle to feed and water and to take care of. And Egypt was an inviting place. It was well watered by the River Nile. There was considerable wealth and culture there. It was a land of opportunity. And so Abraham was uh, drawn there. However, the Egyptians, I've read, had a strong dislike toward nomads and herders. And they were also careful about who they let in. So this dislike for herders was noted later when the sons of Jacob, when they came to Egypt and into the presence of Joseph, when they found he had become second uh, to Pharaoh in Egypt, they came and Joseph said to his brethren and unto his father's house, Genesis 46, 31, I will go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him, my brethren and my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, are come unto me. And the men are shepherds, for their trade has been to feed cattle, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come to pass, he was telling them, when Pharaoh shall call you and shall say, what's your occupation? That you also say, your service trade has been about cattle from our youth even until now both us and also our fathers that you may dwell that you may dwell in the land of Goshen for every shepherd it says is an abomination unto the Egyptians so that was one of the things Egypt Pharaoh wanted to know about who they would be letting in what kind of job did they do what did they have with them now, the Egyptians, they, were, they weren't anti-immigration or adverse to aliens, but they wanted their sovereignty respected. 
They wanted to control who came in and for whatever reason. Again, in Genesis 47, verse 3, Pharaoh said to his brethren, said to Joseph's brethren, what's your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. Moreover, they said unto Pharaoh, for to sojourn in the land are we come. For your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is sore in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, we pray you, let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. So they were going through the proper process of asking for permission to dwell in this land that they had come into. So Pharaoh spoke unto Joseph, and he said, Your father and your brethren are come unto you. The land of Egypt is before you. In the best of the land, make your father and your brethren to dwell. In the land of Goshen, let them dwell. And if you know any men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. So Egypt had room, and Pharaoh granted permission, and they could occupy Goshen and tend their cattle, and also Pharaoh's in return. Abraham, of course, knew that he would be a stranger in the land wherever he, he went. And he identified himself to the Hittites in Genesis 23 as an alien, as a sojourner. In uh, Genesis 23, it says that his wife, Sarah, had died. And in verse 4, he said, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. In the choice of our sepulchers, bury your dead. None of us shall withhold from you his sepulcher, but that you may bury your dead. So we see, out of respect to the people who control the land into which they came, that there had to be permission to use the land, even to cross the land. It had to first be acquired. In Numbers 20, Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. He said, Thus saith my brother Israel, You know all the travail that uh, has befallen us. Verse 17, And he says, Let us pass, I pray you, through your country. We will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards, neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right hand nor to the left until we have past your borders. We won't touch anything. We won't, you know, trespass. And Edom said, You shall not pass by me, lest I come out against you with a sword. And so the children of Israel said unto him, We will go by the highway, and if I and my cattle drink of the water, then I will pay for it. You know, he was willing to, to pay a toll in order to cross the land. I will only without doing anything else, go through on my feet. And he said, uh, the Edom, uh, king of Edom said, you shall not go through this. Uh, and wherefore Israel turned away from him, and the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, journeyed from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. So they had to go another way because they were not permitted to set foot 
in uh, Edom's border. Again, we see the people had to respect borders and make lawful appeal to those who control the land. So this, these verses, they tell us that uh, the lands and the borders were under the control of whoever occupied them. We know that America is a nation of laws, a government of the people, by the people, for the people, that there are rules to live by and uphold and that are, that are good and just for all. Numbers 15, 15, it says, One ordinance shall be both for you of the congregation and also for the stranger that sojourns with you as an ordinance forever in your generation. As you are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. One law and one manner shall be for you and for the stranger. Uh, the word stranger comes from uh, the uh, word ger, G-E-R, which means a foreigner that sojourns with you. So one and the same law applied to everyone, whether he is a native-born Israelite or an alien, and God gave statutes and he gave laws which were to be observed. We know uh, from Exodus that a mixed multitude went with Israel in the Exodus from Egypt. Still some, nevertheless, harbored, they harbored bigotry toward others. In Numbers, however, we see that in chapter 10, uh, verse 28, I don't have this down for you, but you can write it. It's Numbers 10, uh, 28. Through 32. Thus were the journeyings of the children of Israel according to their armies when they set forward. And Moses said unto Hobab, the son of Reguel, I don't know how that's pronounced, but he was the Medianite. This was Moses' father in law. He said to him, We are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. Come you with us, and we will do you good. For the Lord has spoken good concerning Israel. And Reguel said to him, I will not go, but I will depart to my own land and to my kindred. And he said, Moses said, Leave us not, I pray you, for as much as you know how we are to encamp in the wilderness, that you may be to us instead of eyes. And it shall be, if you go with us, yeah, it shall be that what goodness the Lord shall do unto us, the same will be done to you. So we see an invitation that Moses made to this Medianite. Leviticus 18 says to keep my statutes, my judgment, my judgments, and shall not come any of these abominations, neither of your own nation nor any stranger that sojourns among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done which were before you, and the land is defiled. So the nation had to be careful about who could come in because they would, they, some left behind uh, uh, abominations, and it could uh, just overflow into the promised land. James chapter 2, verse 1 my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. So if we claim to be Christian, then we must not show favoritism. 
as we read earlier, if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring, goodly apparel, and also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that, you know, wears the, the finery, and put him in a better spot than the poor. Verse 4, are you not being partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges of evil, th evil thoughts? So, but you have despised the poor, verse 6. You have insulted the poor. And we know that the poor, they tend to choose and rely on God. But the rich in many cases, see, they depend on their riches that they have. Their riches and their pride. And more often than not, as we know, riches corrupt character. Mark 10, verse 23, Jesus, Jesus looked around and he said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the, the disciples, they were astonished at his words. And Jesus again said unto them, Children, how hard it is, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. You know, you could look at this and say, you know, Jesus had a sense of humor here to express uh, this, this difficulty, the difficulty in giving up riches. And of course, they were astonished in verse 26, out of measure saying among themselves, who then can be become, who, who then can be saved? And then there it's told, and Jesus looking up upon them said to them, with men it is impossible, but with God, but not, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. And so Peter began to say to Jesus, well, you know, we've left a lot behind, we, we, and to follow you. And Jesus said to them, I say unto you, there is no man that has left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake, and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. Back to James chapter 2. This is where we started. Uh, do not blaspheme that worthy name by the which you are called. It is very serious to violate Christ's royal command to love. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. So favoritism is no minor sin. Violation, we know, uh, of any part of the commandments makes a person a lawbreaker because, you know, the commandments either stand or fall together. Romans chapter 13, starting verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. 
For he that loves another has fulfilled the law. Sometimes we love ourselves more than we love God, not doing his will. And I know that it is hard to love your enemies, to bless those who persecute you or say all manner of evil. Owe no man anything. So, this word, there's a word debt in here. And it's used in, in, in a, no, a normal sense as an obligation to fulfill. Just as we must, you know, make uh, our obligations for a mortgage payment or for a rent payment or for a car loan or whatever. That there is an obligation, a debt to fill. You know, when it's due. If an enemy asks for water, we're to give him drink. If he asks for Food, we're to give him food. Whatever is possible. All these commandments that we read in the, in the word of God, they're not new. They've been in, in existence since God revealed them. Through Moses out at Mount Sinai. They are laws that show love toward God, toward neighbor. And we know that love works no ill to his uh, neighbor. So love is the fulfilling of the law. And those in the house, you know, it includes those in the house, hold of God and the stranger. Verse 11, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So all of these words that we read from the word of God is to remind us that, you know, we, we can become weak and sometimes you can be living in sin. In this world where iniquity abounds, it is possible for one to sink back into the darkness that is in the world. Unless we put on the armor of light. So verse 13. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Not in rioting and drunkenness. Nor in chambering and wantonness. Not in strife and envying. But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make not provisions for the flesh. To fulfill the, less, the lust thereof. So fulfill the law. The royal law. The everlasting bond of love by walking in the spirit following in the footsteps of Jesus who will soon return as we come upon the, the, uh, the holy days we are directed and our thinking our minds are directed toward that plan of God finally verse 8 again if you fulfill the, ro the royal law according to the scripture you shall love your neighbor as yourself you do well.